Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. All right, I want to pray before we uh, get into it. All right, let's pray. Father, we want to uh, thank you for who you are. We want to thank you for your presence amongst us. We thank you for your goodness. Uh, We thank you for um, your generosity. We thank you for the freedom that we do have to gather in your name. And forgive us, Father, when we so easily take that for granted and lose sight of you. We want to stand with so many who don't have this same freedom. And we ask that in your church, throughout this region, throughout this state, throughout this country, Father, throughout the world, that there be a new spirit, there be an opening to what you want to do, a fresh spirit, a fresh wind, a fresh fire, Father, stirring in us personally, in families, in our groups, in our workplaces. Holy Spirit, I pray that as uh, we unpack or explore this scripture today, that the words that I speak might be the words of your Spirit. And if there's uh, something that just needs to fall to the ground and die, that it would. But if there's something that falls to the ground and dies so that it can bring forth new life, that you would feed and nurture and water that seed so that it would bear much fruit according to your purposes and out of your great love. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I had uh, the great privilege and the great blessing recently, uh, and I do say great blessing despite the outcome, but I attended the uh, recent preliminary final, the game before the grand final. For those of us who are not sporty or at all interested in uh, Australian rules football, we continue to pray for you. Um, but uh, So I went to the preliminary final, the game before the grand final, the game that decides finally the last team to play in the grand final. It was the game between uh, Collingwood Magpies uh, and the Greater Western Sydney Giants. Um, now, I don't know, but I was able to go to a couple of football games over the last three months, and every time I go to the MCG, I just feel overwhelmed by the sheer size and magnitude of the stadium. Have you ever been to the MCG? Just to go and walk around, just to walk around the outside of the building, uh, the stadium is incredible. But then you walk inside the stadium and you kind of walk around a couple of walkways, you walk up the stairs um, and you just feel this sense of anticipation and expectation. Depending on what time you get there, the stadium's empty. You can see seats everywhere and you wonder how will this ever, ever get filled up. A 100,000 seat stadium and you're this one person. How does this ever get filled up? But get filled up it does. And I'll tell you what, despite the fact that Collingwood lost, um, and can I just say, halfway through that preliminary final, I actually tipped the Tigers to win the grand final by at least 10 goals. It didn't matter who they were playing that day. Um, so Colling- I'm grateful Collingwood didn't make it to the grand final because it would have been embarrassing. Um, <laughs> So, but to sit in that stadium and you're sitting there kind of with a small group of people, one or two people around you, and all of a sudden you're sitting there in anticipation with another 79,998,000 people. To sit there amongst 80,000 people and just hear this buzz, whisper. The people who say to you that gathering as a crowd is dying are not telling you the truth. Gathering as a crowd 
remains an important kind of aspect, a part of our Australian culture, our way of life. We love gathering. We just want to gather with a sense of purpose. We just want to gather knowing that there's some sense of expectation or anticipation or that we're participating in something as well. And it's a struggle of the church that sometimes we gather and we, we gather and we kind of know why we gather and some of the knowing why we gather is because this is just what we do on Sunday. But I want to suggest to you today, and even though there's next few weeks as we consider the, the faith-filling nature of Jesus, that uh, there is a greater purpose than just gathering because it's Sunday. And there's a greater purpose than inviting others to come along with us because there's a greater purpose than just gathering on a Sunday. And I hope that over today and over these next few weeks, we might not think of ourselves as just simply gathering, but gathering with purpose and intent and expectation and anticipation of who God is and what He wants to do in our lives, regardless of where we are in our journey, regardless of how we're encountering Jesus. Some of us might know Jesus and be deeply in love with Him and, and growing and maturing in Him, and some of us might be in the middle of a life situation that's going, I don't know, that's okay. Some of us don't even know Jesus apart from using him when we're upset with the world. That's okay. We want to welcome you, we want to honour you, and we trust that today and over these next few weeks, you will be encouraged and inspired by the person and the kind of relationship that Jesus has, that he will transform our lives. But I want to remind us that crowds build momentum. Crowds build anticipation. If you're one person sitting in the midst of the MCG and all of a sudden you're not sure why you're there and all of a sudden you hear this roar, especially that roar, that final roar as you, you've heard the quietness of the national anthem and even as I listen to the grand final and the national anthem's being played and all of a sudden this roar, I, just, I don't even know how to impersonate it, or just this massive roar comes over and everyone's really excited. They build energy, don't they? They build expectation about something special happening. But I want to suggest to you that crowds can also be a little bit mindless, a little bit dangerous. We can get caught up in something that we never intended. We can get caught up in something without much thought. Take, for example, the Richmond crowd. <laughs> My wife's giving me disgusting looks at the moment. Uh, just a small aside, all my wife's family are Richmond supporters, if you haven't known that. Um, I tell my father-in-law that I've allowed my children to think for themselves and therefore make their own decisions about who they followed. He didn't. Um, <coughs> but the Richmond supporters, they were, they, were, uh, they were loud, they were strong, they were bold, and rightly they should be. I mean, could you imagine Swan Street in Melbourne if it was a Richmond Collingwood Grand Final? Except, except the Richmond supporters celebrating. I imagine Swan Street was packed out. I saw the news reports and everyone loves it. There was probably strangers hugging strangers. I imagine the Richmond theme song bursting in a song every, every second. You know, over here it would have been bursting. Over there it would have been bursting. People would have been going, Carnotikes! Nuts! And then someone thought it would be fun to shoot off a couple of flares. So the crowd builds momentum and energy and anticipation until someone does something stupid. What about the recent protests in Hong Kong? 
there's a sense of right and justice, this group of people, this momentum and this energy, a million people pouring into the streets of Hong Kong to protest their governments, to want to stand up for democracy, to affect policy, and wanting to do it quietly until someone says, let's cause a bit of anarchy. And then all of a sudden, it's no longer a quiet, effective protest, protecting one another, standing with one another. It's a riot. There's a fine line between gathering with purpose and causing a riot. Now, sometimes crowds need stirring up. There's no doubt about that. Sometimes we've probably sat in a Sunday service and thought, man, something needs to happen here because I don't know what I'm doing here. But there's a fine line between a crowd that builds energy and momentum and a crowd that is thoughtless and mindless. I want to just... Oh, I, I, I don't, I'm struggling with that image, just the mere the sheer amount of notifications that someone's left on their screen. That's a horrible. But what about the social media crowd? Now, some of us might not understand that, but we're developing policies and schools are developing policies now around how we handle social media responses because the social media aspect where the crowd can just get on behind the keyboard, an unknown crowd, an unseen crowd, even an unnamed crowd, even a fake crowd, Builds momentum and energy. If we don't like something, hey, let's get on and destroy a person. There's laws coming into place around the way in if someone commits suicide because of bullying around social media. The crowds build momentum and energy until someone wants to be a bit thoughtless or they want to take it drastically or they want to treat people with a sense of injustice and unfair. And we complain and we argue and we end up being bullies. But perhaps just as dangerous is that we can become so enthralled in a crowd that we miss a personal encounter. Perhaps just as dangerous is that we become so wound up with being part of the crowd or just doing what the crowd does that we end up being mindless participants in it. That could be just as dangerous. So read with me here, uh, Mark chapter 2. And this passage, every time I read this passage, I kind of struggle to comprehend being there. I laugh at it. I wonder what it means for us. I wonder why there's a detail included. Uh, Hopefully you get the joke as we read through it. You can read through in your Bibles, the YouVersion app, or I'll have it on the screen as well. Um, Let's, uh, Mark chapter 2. A few days later, so this is early, oh well, this Mark moves through Jesus' ministry really rapidly. So um, <clears throat> this could be kind of six, anywhere between six to 12 months, even 15 months into Jesus' ministry. And he's really uh, starting to reveal himself and make himself known. Uh, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, which was his hometown, his home area, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. Thank you. Someone got the joke. I mean, this is ridiculous, isn't it? Can you imagine someone putting an opening in the roof? 
Now, these roofs are very different. They're uh, flat roofs. They've got stairs going up externally. The outdoor area is upstairs. That's their outdoor alfresco dining area. Um, it's made of uh, the materials of the earth, so there's mud and, and goodness knows what else. And they've dug a hole in someone's roof. Now, I suspect most of us sitting here would be too polite. I know I would be. I wouldn't want to be seen as a groupie. As you know, I think Narelle's welcome and worship call was absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Narelle. It's just that sense of what happens when we get to the back of a crowd, especially when we talk about gathering as the church or gathering to encounter Jesus. Oh, no, I won't bother them. I won't bother Jesus. Jesus isn't really interested in me. But somewhere in the back of these guys' minds, they thought this is too important to waste an opportunity and they ripped a hole in someone's roof. And at its most basic, every now and then, friends, we've got to have a hole ripped in our faith and ripped in the way that we do things so that we might encounter Jesus again. And if we haven't got the energy to do it, we need to find a place and a group of people who can carry us there. Uh, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. I mean, they didn't even have survey equipment. They didn't have infrared equipment. They didn't have those pinpoint satellite kind of stuff that you see on the movies. None of that. They just opened the roof. Amazing. I, don't, I hope you might laugh at it later. Um, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say? To say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Wouldn't you like to experience something where you could walk out and say, we have never seen anything like this? But I fear that sometimes we gather as part of the crowd, particularly as part of the church crowd, and particularly it becomes, a, or it becomes about, oh, hang on, it becomes about me rather than about Jesus. See, the tension in this story, I think, is incredible. Because there's people who hear the crowd, there's the critic the doubters, the objections, and then there's a small group of people with a sense of urgency who are so desperate to encounter the living word. There's a huge difference between just listening to the word and encountering and responding to the living word as an act of faith. See, we don't even know, we're not even told in this story if this small group had heard Jesus previously. They'd have to have heard something about him. Something must have been picked up. This sense of excitement and urgency must have been told and passed on. 
Maybe they'd been part of another crowd and they, they'd carried the paralyzed man and they didn't get to see Jesus that day or the crowd was too big. So they thought, no, nope, that's it. Whatever it takes, whatever aspect, we're going for Jesus today. We're not even told if this group of men, some men, we're not even told if they were friends or family, were they forced or were they paid or were they just sorry for the paralytic as they went to the crowd. None of that seems to matter. Maybe this group of men were sick of his complaining. I don't know. None of that seems to matter, except there's some men, a small group of men who said, this encounter, this moment is too important and we are going to do whatever it takes to make sure this man encounters Jesus. And sometimes, friends, we need someone to carry us to that moment. And it's okay to ask. And sometimes we're the people who have to carry others. And sometimes we're the people who have to encourage others and cheer them on. See, there were some men, while there were people listening to the word, there were some men who wanted to encounter and be transformed by the living word. See, being a part of the crowd is the easy part. But faith moves people to a daring response. Being a part of the crowd and sitting back and having our objections or our disappointments, that's the easy part, that's easy to do. But faith that is a daring response that brings out the truth of who we are in Christ and it frees us from paralysis. So Jesus responds to this this group of men, these some men, seeing their faith. There's evidence of faith. We don't know about their Bible reading plans. We don't know about how religious they were. We We don't know anything except they wanted to encounter Jesus. Faith is to be lived, expressed and shared. True faith has evidence. And we're invited to actively participate in relationships that point people to Jesus. I love the response of Jesus. Son, you are forgiven. Now before we go there, we need to highlight those objections. The teachers of the law. Who is this man? What right has he got to say? He's blaspheming. Jesus, they understood, was actually identifying identifying himself with God, saying that he is God because he is the one who has forgiven. He is the only one who can forgive. I want to suggest this actually goes a bit deeper because this actually threatens the way that they had been doing it. Hang on, hang on. You can't say that you forgive them because that's saying that God forgives them directly. And we know the law says... Our previous way of gathering, the crowd says, the way that we've done it in the past says that they have to sacrifice animals like this. They have to participate in the temple like this. So Jesus just ripped a hole right through their understanding and their faith. Not only has a hole been ripped in a physical roof of a house, but Jesus has ripped a hole in the understanding of faith and how we connect with God. 
This has all of a sudden become really personal and really intimate and even a slightly bit dangerous. Son, your sins are forgiven. I love that first word. Son. Now some of us need to hear that. And if you're female, then hear the word daughter. Jesus <laughs> welcomes us as his family. Jesus welcomes me, welcomes you as his representation or made in his divine image and even before he says anything about your behavior your attitude your mindset what you have or haven't done whatever he says son daughter child now oh, wow oh, i hadn't seen that for a long time until i've read it this, again this week preparing for it. son I can't imagine what those, that word might have been like to the paralytic. You're part of my family. You're part of me. You're created in my image. You're created for my purpose. Now the next statement indicates that things have got a bit out of whack. Your sins are forgiven. Alright, life, life hasn't been right or fair you've made mistakes but you're released I hear in this brief statement just sheer joy the sheer joy that Jesus has in welcoming and restoring his family now I've never been paralyzed but I know what it is to be stuck you and I suspect most of us do we know what it's like to be stuck we know what it's like to be stuck in faith we know what it's like to be stuck in relationships we know what it's like to be stuck in disappointments we know what it's like to be stuck in mindsets even when we see God doing amazing things we are paralyzed by anxiety our past our shames our disappointments our success our self-importance our traditions our comparisons we get stuck in unforgiveness our pride our fear our laziness we get stuck in gossip we get stuck in envy and greed and all of those things we define as sin that is we are not fully reflecting or aligned to the divine image of God within us And this is part of the challenge for us, I think. Perhaps as a nation, perhaps as Australian followers of Jesus, Australian Christians. We can be so focused on the external things that we miss the deeper work that Jesus wants to do in us. See, for the scribes to sit there and see Jesus healing someone, that would have been easy. For the scribes to hear that Jesus forgives... It's a bit harder to grasp, isn't it? And often I think that's what we struggle with in the church. We miss the deeper work that Jesus wants to do in us. When we go through hard times or struggles or things that aren't making sense, we wonder why God isn't fixing it. And it might actually be that there's a deeper work that he's doing within us.
And encountering Jesus awakens the truth of who God is and the truth of who we are in Him. And the real challenge is we have to choose what authority Jesus has in our lives. Because one thing to say, yes, you have the authority to fix this in my life, you have the authority to fix my finance issues, you have the authority to fix my health issues, you have the authority to fix my marriage. What about the authority that he has to change and shape me? Does he have that authority? See, our hope and our desire as a Horsham Church of Christ is to create a community, not just so we gather as a crowd, but a community where pers- people have personal encounters with Jesus. And there are times, as I said earlier, that we need to carry others and there are times where others will need to carry us. But it's why we want to be a church that encourages worship and prayer because we want to move to not just seeing Jesus, and not just watching Jesus, and not just expressing Jesus as part of the crowd, but encountering Jesus. And knowing Jesus, and Him knowing us. It's why we want to be discipling our children and our youth to know and encounter Jesus. It's why we set that intentionally and on purpose. But it's also why we ask our children and our families to participate together because we want to partner together in raising our children in the ways of Jesus. Because it's hard yakka. And it's why we want to encourage people to connect in and participate in life groups. Not just so we can have a a good catch up with our friends, but so we can look at each other across the table, across the lounge and say what's happening in our relationship with Jesus. How can we carry you today? How can we pray for you? How can we cheer you on into Jesus? It's why we want our life groups to be our primary contact of care and love and support. We don't make any apologies about that. That's hard to hear sometimes. But when we gather, we want to gather with intent and purpose. We want to have a lot of fun. We want to celebrate We want to have a spirit of joy and anticipation. We want to feel the building, the expectation and the anticipation that something will happen. We don't want to be mindless participants in a crowd. We want to encourage people into personal scripture reading so that my faith, your faith increases. So we learn to feed ourselves as we are filled with Jesus. I think the other important thing in this is that followers of Jesus in this really quickly, dynamically changing time and culture, we are the people who carry the culture to encounter Jesus. There's a lot of things changing really rapidly in our world, yeah? (laughs) This this is the last week or recently the New South Wales government has uh, passed the law um, unanimously to abort children up to 22 weeks. And yeah, we can, uh, that's that's tragic and that's sad and and maybe we could be doing more, maybe we need to protest more and have some thought about it and some conversations about it and it's incredibly tragic. But more than that, I I guess what I want to say in this is we're not called to be the people who stand up 
on a platform somewhere and point down at the rest of the world and say you're doing it wrong. We're called to be the people in the world who carry something of Jesus within us and carry the culture to encounter the living Jesus who changes the way that we think, the way that we live, the way that we connect, the way that we engage with the world. Because standing back and even standing up on a higher place and telling the rest of the world and bemoaning the rest of the world and saying how the rest of the world is no longer becoming Christian, I don't know, but have you read the story of Jesus? Have you read the story of the end times? That's going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. There's no surprise here to God. Our task is not to stand up here and point down the rest of the world. Our task is actually be here and saying, hey, what if we could find another way? What if we could actually speak and proclaim the name of Jesus in the midst of this somehow? But that requires that Jesus has to do a deeper work in me, doesn't it? Because before I can offer Jesus to the world as a gift, I have to receive Jesus as a gift for myself. We're told at the end of that passage that um, the man got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. now imagine that one man lived grateful not just to Jesus but for those who dared to carry him now some of us are sitting here today because others carried us others have carried us in prayer others have invited us maybe we feel like they nagged us into coming maybe they feel like they nagged us into faith great Some of us might be sitting here and we're overwhelmed and we wish someone would carry us. May the Holy Spirit grant you those who would gather around you and cheer you on and lift you up and point you to Jesus. So I think sometimes we can be so hooked up into solving people's problems when some of our task is to simply remind people, hey, you are a son, you are a daughter, you are forgiven, you are loved. And point people to Jesus. See, faith changes lives when we point people to and invite people to encounter Jesus. And as our team comes up to uh, finish our service uh, and through, uh, <clears throat> through a great song of, I guess, invitation and welcome and promise, may you have the courage to have a hole ripped into your life, maybe. To allow Jesus to stir in your heart that changes the way that you think or engage or encounter the living Jesus. Not just in this moment, but in the days to come. May we have a a sense that Jesus wants to see our faith turned upside down so that we might hear Jesus call us as sons, as daughters and remind us that we are forgiven, that we are restored and that we can get up and walk in relationship with him.